0: Eagles Entertainment. are the 21st pick in the NFL Draft,
1: the Philadelphia Eagles select...
2: You're listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast.
1: Welcome to the Journey to the Draft podcast. I'm your host, Fran Duffy, and it's the 300th episode here on the Journey to the Draft podcast. It's a fun day. Uh, I can remember, and a little-known fact, the Journey to the Draft podcast was actually the first original podcast here uh, with the Philadelphia Eagles. We used to podcast when I first got here uh, to the organization in 2011, we would podcast like press conferences and, uh, you know, other, other content. We would just throw it up to one channel over on the Eagles live uh, or on the, on the Philadelphia Eagles channel. And from there we just kind of decided it was 20, 14. We said, you know what? Why don't we do a podcast all about the NFL draft? So this was the very first one. Myself, uh, Chris McPherson, Bo Wolf, and uh, we got together. We did it a bunch of times leading up to that draft, and then we would stop it during the offseason, even during college football. Uh, It's been a wild ride, but here we are with the 300th one. It's going to be a fun one here uh, as we get going here at the very top with Draft Buzz, where Ben Fennell, Dane Brugler, and I break down the top interior offensive linemen in the NFL draft this spring, and names you need to know at guard and center. Plus, Pro days are officially underway now. We've got a full week of official workouts last week, and we've got another week this week. So we're going to talk through the guys that helped themselves last week as well as you know some interesting quotes uh, that we got from the week of action as well. I'll talk about all of that with those guys and more before we transition to our On the Clock segment where the three of us once again put on our GM hats. We take one of the roles of scouts and general managers and coaches all across the league. This week, we'll be making picks selected by random draw. For the LA Chargers, the Carolina Panthers, and the Detroit Lions. So we'll cover some names that you'll hear in some mock drafts. But speaking of mock drafts, we're going to cover some names that you need to keep in mind for the New England Patriots in the blueprint, where I catch up with Phil Perry from NBC Sports in Boston, who takes us through the strategy of Bill Belichick and some of the themes we've seen from the New England Patriots when it comes to who they target in the NFL draft. What tendencies have they shown over the years? We're going to hit on it with Phil in that segment. He's got a ton of interesting Bits to share with us right there towards the end of the show. And then we'll wrap things up with our draft mailbag. We've got a question from one of you at home on a position fit for his favorite NFL team at the wide receiver position. So we'll dive into that. We'll wrap it all up before... We get to the start of the show, though. I just want to quickly remind you to jump onto our Apple Podcast page, do us the great favor of leaving us a rating, leave us a comment. Whether it's a question about the process, a question about your specific team, your favorite team doesn't need to be the Eagles. It could be whoever you work, work, uh, root for in the NFL. Could have a uh, question about a specific player. You've got a mock draft, rankings, whatever you want. Just throw it onto our Apple Podcast page. This is all about you. Head on over, leave us the question, leave us the rating. We'll hit on it here in a future show let's keep this one going though. Let's now start things off with draft buzz.
0: Now it's time for
3: draft buzz. All right,
1: guys, let's jump in now on the 300th episode of the journey to the draft podcast. As I mentioned earlier, Uh, guys, let's start with pro day workouts because uh, as we alluded to last week, they were kind of getting into the swing of things uh, early last week. And now we've got a full week's worth and, Kind of what we'll do over the the course of the next few weeks as these pro days continue to happen uh, is kind of do some of the things that we would do during the combine and we'll kind of bring them in to a weekly basis here uh, on the show. And so we'll start off with I'm trying to take part in as many of these pro days like the media availabilities as possible if I feel like there's a noteworthy quote. I'll pull it, and we'll play it here on the show. So the very first one is going to be from uh, North Dakota State's Pro Day, which was late last week. They had, on Thursday, they made the coaches available. On Friday, they made the, the players available. So uh, I jumped in and got a chance to speak with North Dakota State's quarterback coach. uh, talked all about Trey Lance and uh, a bunch of things. He, he actually gave some great info uh, for a lot of people that were on the call. And uh, I was able to ask him uh, about one aspect of his game that's uh, you know talked about a little bit, but it was just great to hear him talk about it. Let's toss that quote right now. Hey coach, so you talk about uh, just the, the lack of experience, lack of game reps, but um, you know, there's been some stuff written about how you guys have put, you put a lot on his plate from a pre-snap standpoint and handling yes. protections for us on the outside, that can be tough to be able to kind of see, uh, you know, when we're watching games and we're watching mm-hmm. film, is there an example that comes to mind that, you know, maybe us on the outside, we wouldn't have been able to see that kind of put into action, uh, but you know, maybe something in a big moment uh, or just something from last year that kind of comes to mind from that standpoint?
4: Well, I think the biggest thing, you know, in the championship game in, in January of 2020 in our title game, um, we didn't anticipate going in the game and running Trey 30 times in that game, which he ended up doing. But some of those were scrambles and all. But he would um, he was able to check us into protections against their different uh, pressures that they brought. And I think the biggest thing is he studies the game so well. Uh, I don't think there's one in particular other than the one that stands out for in my um, in my time, Fran, is when he, his first college start was at Target Field in Minneapolis. And he threw a post route to um, Phoenix Sproles. Uh, that was just a great throw and a great catch for a touchdown. But he was able to, in that game, check into a run play against their pressure look. And he scored from about 50 yards out on a run play. And he did that against their pressure look. And those are things that he is able to do and process quickly at the line of scrimmage. Not a lot of young quarterbacks are able to do that. And uh, he was able to do it in our system. But that became that—that uh, that was because of the, the prep time he puts in for every game. The thing about Trey that really stands out, Fran, in reference to, to that question going back, he has a passion for the game. He really, He really is a football junkie, I would say. You know, he really studies the game and it's important to him. And he's been brought up that way by his his father and all. And I think that's important to him uh, to live that legacy. All right,
1: guys, so obviously that quote all about Trey Lance's uh, responsibilities pre-snap. And, Ben, I know this is something you and I uh, you know, really value in terms of you know looking at quarterback prospects and what they were thrown at mentally. We don't always know that on the outside, but with Trey that's been talked about, it was just good to be able to get kind of an example uh, of that, and I'll try and share the video of that play uh, over on my Twitter page, at uh, EaglesXOs. But what's your takeaway, just kind of coming out of that quote and hearing him uh, talk about Trey Lance?
2: Well, just hearing the kind of uh, enthusiasm in his voice for his player and some of those, you know, uh, quick trigger words, passion, football junkie, student of the game. All those things you absolutely want from your CEO, quarterback, potential top 10 pick. Uh, You know, it's going to run your franchise, hopefully for the next 10, 15 years. So definitely love hearing that. And the football IQ aspect of the quarterback position is something that's really tough to dive into on the tape. You don't know who's setting protections between him, the center, the O-line, the back's. You don't know what he's doing on a week to week basis as far as game planning and having input into the offense, or even from a drive-to-drive input in the offense. That's some of the things you figure out through the interviews, through talking to the coaches, through getting them on the whiteboards through some of these in-person visits or now virtual visits, but trying to figure out just their football makeup and you know, just hearing some of these words, uh, you know, the passion, the junky stuff from his quarterback coach. That's what you want to
1: hear. And what I loved about that too, Ben, I know you remember this, was that Carson Wentz had a play very similar to that when he was coming out of North Dakota State, where uh, I believe it was a game against Weber State where they showed a pressure pre-snap. He changed out of it, changed to a quarterback run. He took off uh, for a touchdown. So the symmetry there with Trey Lance uh, making that similar kind of play. And Fran, both
2: plays, both plays, third and five, right, both plays, check the QB power.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. That was, uh, that was I thought that was kind of fun symmetry there. Uh Dane, just coming out of that pro day uh with the people that you've talked to, you know, over the last few days. What's there, any extra buzz, any insight into what people have taken away over uh his workout and just any extra insight into the, how meetings have gone with him?
3: Yeah, I think most of the buzz has mirrored uh probably what we saw with our own eyes. You know, yeah. he drove the ball well, uh pretty good placement. There's some some throws he would have liked to have back, uh, just a solid showing. Um, I, I think above all, teams just continue to be impressed uh, with a lot of what you guys are talking about. And that's just where he is mentally in his development. Um, I guess the biggest disconnect between those of us on the outside and NFL scouts and the access they have to better understanding these guys, both you know as players and as people, in terms of where they are with their maturity, with their development mentally, uh, and with Trey Lance, he, he gets so many high marks from teams with just the way he carries himself, uh, with his intellect um, on the field and off, um, his capacity for learning. Um, so everything I've heard so far has been very, very positive with Lance uh, in terms of his mental development for a guy that's still only 20 years old, um, only 17 career starts. But I think it's also a credit to North Dakota State for the way they've uh, you know developed these guys and what they ask of their quarterbacks, the preparation um and everything that was in that quote too. So you know, it's, it's uh, I, you know, teams have to figure out is he a guy that we can put a, you know, how much can we put on his plate day one? How much is you know before he's going to be able to see the field and implement what we're what we're teaching him? And I think the the buzz that we're hearing is this is a guy that can handle all that and handle it and with you know big doses early on.
1: Yeah, it's something we talked about last week on the show with Greg Cosell about uh, with all these quarterbacks. It's all about trying to get them to that. You know that extra level of their development. You know that, that that ability where they've seen all the defenses, they know all the looks that are going to be thrown at them. Who can get there fastest? What you, what can you do as a franchise to get him there and keep him there? And when, when you have a guy that has that kind of mental capacity, Dane, as you mentioned, uh, it gives you faith that he can reach that point faster than the than you know some other guys uh, in his class. So uh, and it's, it's
3: it's worth mentioning just how tough it is this year to do that. You know, in yeah. past years, you know the Eagles. They're bringing Carson Wentz to the their hotel room in Indianapolis or in the combine with a, a screen and you know talking over plays and protections and coverages. This year we don't have that, and it's all virtual, and it's all so it's just a little bit tougher for these yep. teams to figure that out, which is such an interesting dynamic to a quarterback class that's so top heavy this year.
1: You have to get creative with how you're trying to quiz these guys and try and get the most uh, out of all of those exposures. Uh, guys, one other thing we're going to do every single week here as these pro days are going on is just go through a workout warrior. Who's a guy that's kind of impressed us from a uh, testing standpoint? And obviously all these numbers uh, you know, are going to come in every single day. Uh, but Ben, we will come to you first. Who, who's a workout uh, that has impressed you uh, over the course of the last week?
2: Well, I thought there's a couple intriguing workouts, particularly from the Texas Longhorns, but we'll stay in the secondary with Caden Stearns. 42-inch vertical, 10-8 broad, 14 reps on the bench, and a 4-4-0-40. Only one defensive back, corner or safety, did that at the 2020 Combine. That was Kyle Duggar. And over the last 20 years for him, 15 DBs have hit that metric. 14 of those have been drafted and a lot of who's who names and Byron Jones and Eric Berry, Juan Thorhill, Obi-Wan Darius Butler, Marcus Williams, a lot of first and second round picks right there. The average draft spot of those 14 is 90th right in the end of that third round right there, which I could see Caden Stearns kind of floating around that hundred spot in the draft, maybe being an early uh, day three pick.
1: Yeah. And what's funny about that, Dane, is that, you know, watching him this year, watching him even last year, I didn't see a guy that was like, oh man, like the athleticism really pops through. That's how he first popped on my radar in 18, uh, as a true freshman, I, you know, making freshman plays outside yep. the numbers. And I was like, wow, like this guy's got outstanding range and movement skills. You didn't quite always see that. No, he was banged up as a sophomore. And then he's coming back from that this past year, but good to see him work out that way. Nonetheless. The athletic system's there. Uh,
3: that's. I don't think that's the question. The question is, is he going to be able to play with that type of play speed? Because, yeah, you watch in the last two years, he was banged up a little bit, but he also played conservative. It's like he yep. took the, the foot off the gas after that big-time freshman year and just coasted. And, you know, he didn't make as many plays. Uh, you know, he's not using that speed to his advantage. Uh, so it's just a matter of – and, you know, there's uh, some issues with – You know, just, you know, leadership and things like that behind the scenes that scouts have some questions about. So uh, he's a complicated prospect because talent is there. It's just a matter of unlocking that talent to, you know, translate into functional uh, football production.
1: Yeah, Dane, you and I talked about that uh, off air in terms of Caden Sterns just watching his film. It's like, all right, like somewhere on that line of, you know, is he being indecisive or is he being cautious and trying to make sure he keeps everything in front? Uh, it, you know, and that's one of the limitations of the film is trying to get a better understanding uh, of what we're seeing. Uh, for me, I'm going to go with uh, one of Stern's teammates, and that's Sam Cosme, uh, the left tackle for the Longhorns. Uh, Dane, you posted the full workout uh, over on your Twitter page, at DP Brugler, but uh, I retweeted, just take a look at it kind of give context to these numbers, only six tackles drafted in the last decade have posted a better 40 time of 4.85. Only three have posted a better short shuttle, which a lot of people will point to as a key drill for offensive linemen with a 4.39, just a ridiculous number. Only six tackles drafted had a better broad jump. Only 18 had a better three cone. And that's over the last decade all offensive tackles drafted uh, in that span. So uh, just an outstanding across-the-boards workout there uh, for Sam Cosme. Arm length wasn't quite uh, what he would have been hoping for. I think he came in 33 flat, if I remember right. But uh, outside of that, I mean, you couldn't ask for a better, uh, you know, in terms of how he did from a testing standpoint, uh, he would be my pick here. Dane, uh, wrap around us out here. Who's uh, who's your workout warrior?
3: I'm going to go with Arkansas defensive lineman uh, Jonathan Marshall. Um, comes in at 6'3", 3'10". Uh, so a big guy and he runs the four, eight, one, uh, with a one, six, seven split, which is just really, really impressive. 32 inch vert, uh, 36 on the bench. So workout numbers were outstanding. Uh, now he doesn't have a large body of work. One year starter at Arkansas. He was a team captain. Um, he, he played nose tackle for him, so he didn't really get a chance to, uh, show off a lot of those athletic traits and, you know, you rely more on that power to, uh, you know, create disruption from the inside. But, uh, you know, I, he's a guy that he ex- he flashes explosiveness. You see these spurts of power. You just want to see it more consistently, but with testing numbers like that, I, I think Marshall kind of put himself in that, uh, you know, that late round discussion as being a guy worth uh, bringing in and seeing what we can coach out of him. You know, and he's only know you
2: had, him, yeah. Yeah, he's only been a starter this year, but he's kind of been in the rotation for about three years or so. So he's been an early down player, kind of a run plugger, really good mix of being stout against double teams and also flashing some quickness to slide into gaps and to get in the backfield. So he's a guy that's lined up anywhere from four, four, I to that nose tackle zero shade uh, that Dan had mentioned. So he's the exact type of guy you want to fill out your, your defensive line room. He might be that Fifth, sixth defensive tackle, but I think he's NFL ready and a guy that can contribute in kind of a rotational role.
1: All right, guys, let's uh, let's start our preview here uh, of the position that we're focusing on this week, and that's going to be interior offensive line. Now, uh, you know, a lot of people break down offensive linemen for the draft, tackles, guards, and centers. That can be a little bit tricky because guys get drafted, you know, maybe they're listed by a guard by everybody, but then all of a sudden they get drafted and, oh, they're a tackle or they're a center. And so we're just going to break this up into interior offensive line. And then if we think a guy's got a shot at playing tackle or if he's in the discussion to play tackle, we'll actually talk about him next week when we preview that group. So this will be just focused on guys who are guard centers only. Uh, And we'll start things off with the best overall run block. We'll start in the run game here. Uh, Dane. Give us a guy, day one or day two, uh, that you kind of want to focus on, best run blocker in the interior offensive line.
3: I'm going to go with Aaron Banks uh, out of Notre Dame. Uh, okay. This guy is mammoth, 6'5 uh, half, 340 pounds. Um, and you know his, his body girth, his brute strength, his physical attitude, uh, he's just he, – he's an easy guy to like in pass pro because he's hard to move but he also can move, uh, defenders in the run game too. So, you know, he's, he did the brawling strength that he has that massive size. It really, really interesting. I think he's somewhere in that late two, early three range. So like top 80 pick, um, and you know, doesn't get a ton of love. He's a little sloppy, but you know, he, he's just, he's, uh, for, especially for a power game, a power, uh, run game. I, I think he's going to make a lot of sense.
1: I I didn't love his uh, senior bowl week, especially in past pro drills. I thought he kind of worried me there, Uh, but I liked his film a lot. I I thought that he did some really good things this year. I believe he was an all ACC player. Uh, So he's a guy that I think definitely fits into this category. I'm going to go with a guy in Landon Dickerson uh, at center. There's been a lot written about Landon Dickerson. Some people extremely high uh, on the former Florida state star turned into Alabama. Uh, He's been, he's played all five offensive line positions. You love him on the interior, even though he's, I mean, he's a big physical player. Uh, The way that he's able to work in tandem with his guards in the run game, uh, really, really fun to be able to watch him and Deontay Brown work uh, at the point of attack and moving guys up front. Uh, when you factor that in with his toughness and his tenacity, uh, how good he is with his hands. Uh, I went with Landon Dickerson here. Obviously, the medical going to be a huge, huge part of the evaluation here and, and the overall projection. But uh, in terms of just watching him on film, uh, I would say he would be my favorite run blocker uh, of this group. Ben, uh, take us through a guy that's a, a day three pick, but a big-time run blocker. Well, we're not going too far.
2: We'll go one spot left to lander Dickerson with his double teammate and Deontay Brown, who I think is a day three pick at this point. Excellent run blocker, powerful people mover, drive blocks. He's good on the backside. Those double teams with either Leatherwood or Dickerson to either side of him. Excellent. He's that control steer torque type of guy. He just is going to have some issues in space. He's going to have some issues in pass pro. He's not going to be a fit for every scheme. He has some poor lateral quickness, doesn't recover that well, a little heavy legged, obviously at nearly 370 pounds. So there's some pros and cons to his game, but when you need a yard on third and one friend, we know whose butt we're running right behind.
1: That's right. No question. So uh, let's go to the next category here. Best pass protector. So we'll go with guys uh, that best impact the pass game. I'll start us off with a guy on day one or day two. I'm going to go with Oklahoma center Creed Humphrey, who also, by the way, posted an outstanding workout uh, late last week at his pro day. And I would say, uh, guys, that wasn't necessarily expected. I don't think a lot of people expected him to be an outstanding athlete the way that he tested. And and he far surpassed a lot of people's expectations. But uh, just looking at Creed Humphrey, not only is he just rock solid in in pass pro, and you could check the boxes in terms of his foot quickness and hand placement and things like that. But with what he does in terms of setting protections for Oklahoma, he's done it for the past three years as a starter. Uh, he got high grades in that re- regard when he was a senior-laden offensive line. I remember talking with a bunch of his teammates as they were coming out and asking him, hey, what's, what's the deal with this freshman uh, that was starting at the pivot for you guys? And all of them were just raving about his in- intelligence and the ability to read defenses and uh, keep the quarterback upright, um, you know, pre-snap with what he was able to do. And so I think when you factor that in along with the physical ability – uh, I'm going to go with Creed Humphrey, who is maybe one of the easier projections in this class as one of the top centers uh, in this group. Uh, guy, uh, day, uh, actually, no, I'll go Ben. Ben, give us another one here. Great, great pass protector, day one, day two in this draft.
2: This one might surprise you guys, but I'm going to go with Trey Smith out of Tennessee. Ooh. I just think he has the adequate height, length, weight, reach, hand size, excellent, strong base for his power rushes, very strong, heavy hands, to kind of jolt defensive linemen and edge rushers, very clean pass sets. His pass pro is wildly more consistent than his run blocking. Now that run blocking you watch, you just want more. You want more movement. You want more nasty. You want more consistency. He'll show you some wow and then kind of leave you wanting more for three, four plays in a row. But his pass pro is very consistent. Whether at left tackle or left guard, he's played both spots and he's even played some tackle down at the senior bowl and looked more than fine uh, out on the edge there. If a team does want to put him out there in a pinch or maybe do, uh, you know, does view him as a tackle. But he's a guy that I think has gone a little bit under the radar as far as projecting and figuring out where his draft stock lies.
1: I think it's a matter of figuring out our you know, the twenty nineteen and twenty twenty film definitely looked a little bit different, but at the end of the day, the guy's tough to get around. You know, you mentioned with his body type, uh, you know, the guy's just tough to be able to work around. I mean, Fran
2: the senior bowl measuring 6'5", 330, 83 inch wingspan. His arms are over thirty-three inches, his hands are ten inches. I mean, he's just a massive, you know, uh, you know, specimen to play or guard or tackle for. He's an ideal height, weight, length, everything you need
3: there. No question. His senior tape was just So disappointing, but to, you know, to what you guys are saying, he's going to get drafted somewhere in the top 100 because you're going to bet on those traits and, you know, see, see what you can make out of him. So yeah, he's just such a unique
2: player. But like disappointing, wanting more kind of uninspiring, all those words are swirling around his 2020 tape uh, that make it a little disappointed that he decided to go back for that senior campaign. He obviously could have come out, was surrounded by tons of young players on that Tennessee offense, just kind of a peculiar season. Yeah, uh, Dane, let's come to you
1: now. Day three guy, great pass protector. All
3: right. So this falls under the category of the, the tackle guard because uh, he played tackle this past year, but his background is at guard. And I think that's no doubt what he's going to be at the next level. And that's Royce Newman out of Ole Miss. Yep. Um, you know, he's got 32-inch arms. Uh, you know, I think, you know, he he was okay at right tackle, but I think his future is absolutely inside at guard. Uh, you know, really like his—he's—he's he's quick in his initial setup. Uh, he's very efficient with his steps. He's got tight hands. He doesn't overextend himself. Uh, he's not the type of guy that's going to win with just overwhelming play strength or physicality. But he's quick, efficient. He executes. He keeps his blocks centered. Um, I, and it gives you that versatility. He—he he played at left guard, right guard, center. Um, I, I think he's got four position versatility um, as uh, as alignment, but he's being best at, at guard. And I think he's a, a really solid day three uh, pickup, uh, especially what he does in pass protection.
1: Yeah, I love it. and with that 32 and a quarter inch arms, like you said, I mean, I would say most teams are going to keep him more on the interior uh, moving forward to the NFL. Let's go to best technician. Uh, ben, I'll come to you. Best technician, interior offensive line, day one or day two in this draft?
2: All right. Full disclosure, I want to go Creed Humphrey again here, but we've already touched on him. So I'm actually going to go with Josh Myers from Ohio State, one of the rare redshirt sophomore offensive linemen in this class. And the reason I think he's the best technician is because I don't think he has elite athleticism. I don't think he has elite strength. I think he wins by being a very clean, polished technically sound player. And you could see him get overwhelmed at times, whether, you know, it's, uh, you know, getting bowled back into the pocket or maybe, you know, loses off the, uh, off the snap with, you know, the lack of quickness there. But it's a very technically sound player. That's rarely off balance, rarely on the ground, rarely at a position. He's a guy that you're going to have to beat with some sort of elite athleticism or elite strength against him.
1: He's a guy, I feel like, you know, when you compare him with Wyatt Davis, another player we might talk about, I feel like it's like Davis, high high ceiling, Myers uh, certainly has that high floor for all those reasons uh, that you highlighted there, Ben. Uh, Dane, let's come to you. Best technician, uh, day one, day two.
3: So I was going to go Creed Humphrey, too, but since Ben didn't, uh, I guess that means I can't either. Uh, so I'm going to go with uh, Drake Jackson out of Kentucky. Yep, um, You know, he's a guy that, doesn't have much position flex. He is a center only. He, you know, lineman with length, with power might give him a little bit of trouble, but he can survive because of his technique. Um, You know, he has movement skills. He stays under control. Um, You know, he's, he's got a rapid tight punch. Uh, He he allows his body angles to work for him. And so, you know, you you combine all of that along with his intelligence and you've got a guy that's going to be able to stick uh, because of, uh, mostly because of his technique and what he could do uh, at the point of attack.
1: So I'm going to go with a player I think is kind of similar in some ways, and that's Jack Anderson from Texas Tech, 6'5", 309. He's built a little bit taller, uh, not quite as long. Anderson's got sub-32-inch arms, which will ding him for some teams. But, um, you know, this is a guy I feel like has just a knack for being able to play the position. He understands angles. Uh, he's tough to shed once he gets on you. Uh, he's got really strong hands. You know, he's He's got to get a little bit better in pass pro, but I think overall his technique and, and his understanding of what he's doing I thought was really impressive. A lot of finishes into the dirt as well. He's definitely got uh you know that that kind of pro mindset for sure. But uh, I went with Jack Anderson. Uh, it was a all-Big 12 player as a sophomore, so this is a guy that's been uh, certainly on the radar now for a handful of years. Let's go to our next category here, and Anderson could have fit into this one for me, and that's best finisher. Uh, Dane, I'll come to you. For a day one or day two guy, uh, just the guy that you thought was best at finishing block.
3: I, I mean, I, hard to not go Landon Dickerson, uh, yeah. but because he was already mentioned, I'm going to go with Quinn Miners. Uh, uh, you know, the the D3 darling this year. Um, you know, the guy just he's a bulldog. Um, you know, he's mean, he's fierce, uh, and it's not it's not forced. You know, it's not fake. It's it, it comes natural to him, and it's and it's not over aggressive. It's just the right amount of aggressiveness. So um, you know, he's going to face a big uptick in competition, obviously. But the fact that he is so tough and the competitive spirit to, uh, you know, latch and drive and finish, um, I, that, that finishing ability, I think, is going to you know translate very well facing better athletes in the NFL. Now,
1: I'm going to go with a guy who is also, you know, I'd say a little bit on the underrated aspect of it. He's been doing it for Power Five team uh, over the last few years, and that's Kendrick Green. I think he's going to be a, a day one, day two selection in this draft. I love Kendrick. His violence. I love his play temperament. He's one of the best finishers in this class. He actually, the first time I even you know, knew of him was last year at the combine. Uh, I was talking with Minnesota linebacker, Kamal Martin, who ended up being uh, a draft pick for the Packers. And I asked him, you know, who's the toughest guy uh, you saw last year? And he told me it was this guard, Kendra Green from Illinois. I had no idea who that was, uh, but put it down in my list ends up declaring for the draft. I watch him and I was blown away. And then that toughness definitely shows up to be able to get that kind of praise from an opponent uh, I thought was noteworthy. But uh, this is a guy that really gets after you. I love watching this kid play. Uh, you know, whether it's guard, whether it's center, he can do both. Uh, you know, he, He's definitely a guy that, uh, that matches that play temperament you're looking for. Uh, ben, let's come to you. A day three guy, best finisher.
2: Well, there's a lot of low-hanging fruit. I uh, like Landon Dickerson, Aaron Banks, you already talked about. Quinn Miners, obviously, is the, the darling finisher. I'm going to go really quick. David Moore at a grambling. Great one. I think has a really nasty kind of mean streak and ability to kind of finish blocks uh, at that echo of the whistle, which you absolutely love. I thought he had one of the better weeks down at the Senior Bowl, very quietly, uh, particularly at that center position, which I think he might be able to carve out better than the guard spot being a little squatty at 6'1". Mm.
1: Uh, he was a guy I was hoping one of us set him for something because uh, he is definitely uh, <laughs> deserving of being in this conversation. Well, Full disclosure fan. I was going to do minors here.
2: Uh, and then I quickly just searched my sheet and looked up Mauler. And he was the first one that came up. I said, <laughs> oh, great. David Moore, grambling. Perfect. slam dunk.
1: Perfect. All right. Let's go to uh, some sleepers guys. Cause I think David Moore certainly going into the senior bowl uh, would have been viewed as exactly that. Uh, but let's go to uh let's go Ben. Let's go to you first. Who is your uh, number one sleeper here?
2: Well, on BYU's great season with Zach Wilson, and he rightfully so is getting a lot of the attention, left tackle Brady Christensen getting a lot of attention as well. Some of his pass catching targets, but they have some other offensive line prospects that are worth knowing. And that's Tristan Hodge, guard, and a guard tackle, Chandon Herring. This is a dominant, nasty run game that Zach Wilson lived off play action, a lot of outside zone, wide zone action. And these guys blocked forever as we've seen Zach Wilson dance around and, you know, make plays improvisationally, extend the play. But Shannon Herring has starts at right tackle, right guard, left guard, was on the freak list over the summer for his weight, in athleticism. Tristan Hodge, son of Merrill Hodge, was a Notre Dame transfer, so a highly coveted uh, prospect out of high school. Guys, this is a two-time Idaho Gatorade Player of the Year at center what does your tape look like at center that you're the best player in the state twice? I need to see some of that tape, but long story short, guys, this BYU offense was a lot more than just the quarterback position. Watch the run game and go find some prospects. Cause these guys can play.
1: Love it. All right. Well, thank uh, Give us a sleeper here.
3: Uh, yeah, it was funny. Cause I was actually going to, my first thought was David Moore. Um, there you go. Uh, but you know, I don't know that he really qualifies as a sleeper being at the senior bowl. So um, I'm gonna go with Sedarius Hutcherson uh, out of South Carolina, and you know, not a Senior Bowl guy, so I think he might be getting overlooked a little bit. But another freaks list, uh, list guy. Uh, he you know was a mostly a defensive lineman in high school. He was a small school guy out of Tennessee. He weighed only 230 pounds. Uh, when he graduated, and now he's up over 310. He's one of the strongest players on the team. Uh, you know, he's he's got a little bit of stiffness in his lower body, but he's he's got some power to him, and uh, I think he's a draftable player in this class. And,
2: and guys, when you're just talking this class where there's some questions, he has 2,700 snaps played, 36 starts in the SEC experience Across at l- l- left tackle, yeah, 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 left guard, right guard. When you're kind of weighing these day three picks and looking for somebody that you know what you're getting. So that's this type of guy, Hutcherson, all
3: day. And not only does he have uh, experience at three different positions, but he has double-digit starts at three different positions, which right. is, is pretty rare. So huh. that, that's, that's a great point.
1: I love that. That's a good point. Uh, I'm going to go here round us out uh, with a guy who did not play a, a ton of football this year and that's Drew Dahlman from Stanford. Stanford only played like four or five games uh, and just was a junior who declared for the draft early. He's just not on the front of minds when you talk when in terms of uh, from a media standpoint when you're talking about this offensive line class. I studied him late last week This kid is athletic. He is technically sound. He's smart. He's tough. You know, he's only 300 pounds, so he's not going to be, you know, that physical people mover off the ball. Uh, But the size never looked like an issue in pass protection. He never got overwhelmed at the point of attack. I think this is a guy who checks a lot of boxes and is going to start in the NFL. So for me, uh, Drew Dahlman, you know, I think he categorizes as a sleeper in my mind because. There's just not a lot of buzz about him. There's not a lot of talk about uh, Drew da- Drew Dahlman, uh from Stanford. Let's wrap it up here with our player comps. Dane, uh, we'll come to you first. What's your uh, the player comp that you you like most from this group?
3: I went with Josh Myers, um, okay. comparing him to Chase Roulier, uh, oh, in the Washington Football Team center um, at a Wyoming. Wyoming. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It was like a, what, a fifth round pick yep. or, you know, and he just recently what last year signed that extension, uh, you know, awesome for him. Uh, I think there's this, when you look at their body types, you look at, um, you know, just the way they win, uh, you know, they're not elite athletes. Um, but they just they they have the desired levels of toughness, smarts, execution. Um, you know they're 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 feisty guys. They're strong and they just they understand how to how to finish the mission. So um, I just got a lot of really flashbacks mm-hmm. watching Myers.
1: Actually, I don't think I did Roulier really when he came out and really early with Washington stood out to me on film, watching them preseason, watching them early, uh, the regular season. He, he was a guy that flashed really early. Uh, let's go to mine here. I'm going to go with Jimmy Morrissey, who was a late addition to the senior ball roster midweek because of an injury. Uh, the only one, I believe, to do so uh, this year just due to COVID-19 protocols, but uh, Morrissey is a guy watching him over the summer reminded me of Stefan Wisniewski, the former Eagles interior offensive lineman. I don't think he's going to wow you in terms of how he moves. He's not going to wow you at the point of attack with his power uh not i'm just gonna he's not gonna wow you off the hoof but technically sound smart tough durable uh this is a guy that i think is gonna come in and he's gonna find a home in the nfl and he's, uh, probably a swing interior offensive lineman probably more natural at center just due to his body type but uh just really reminded me as kind of a key glue guy on the back of you know on the back end of an offensive line uh that's kind of how i viewed jimmy morrissey ben uh take us take us home here
2: I'm glad we're covering these centers because I think it's quietly a pretty good center. class. a lot of experienced players, whether it's Michael men or Morrissey, but drew Dahlman, great player reminds me a little bit of Nick Hardwick who played for 10 years for the chargers, another undersized center. And how about Drake Jackson, Kentucky Uh, Dane touched on him. Another guy, listen, we're not fooling anybody. He's 290 pounds. He's undersized, but I think guys like, you know, Hardwick and Ryan Khalil and my guy, Jason Kelsey, who I think is very similar to a Drake Jackson, there's a place for these guys in the NFL in the right scheme. There's good usage, whether it's getting up to the second level, reach blocks, getting out in the perimeter in the screen game. Drew Dahlman, Drake Jackson, there is a place for the NFL, despite being sub 300.
1: I mean, I think Austin Blythe weighed as much as I do now, like at his combine when he came out. I don't know if it says more about Blythe or it says less about me. But uh, I think when you look at it, you know, guys at his size, I mean, those guys can can, you know, last in the NFL in the interior. They could find a way as long as uh, you're able to check enough boxes uh, across the board. Blythe in the Blythe experience, the, the lineman, FBI yeah. stuff, that center yeah, position. No there's questions. There's
2: other things that go into it besides just, you know, being a people mover.
1: That's right. So, uh, all right, guys. So we've talked about a bunch of players here with the interior offensive line. Let's now transition to a lot of listeners' favorite segment. Uh, Over the course of two episodes a week, a lot of people are pounding the table for wanting more on the clock.
2: On the clock.
1: All right, you guys know the drill now at this point where we're going to go on the clock, three different teams, and I've plugged in the randomizer. We've we've got three randoms again, uh, three positions, three parts of the draft. We're going to start off with Dane who is going to play the role of Tom Telesco of the LA Chargers round three running back position, which is interesting because they've added running backs uh, over the course of the last few years. But uh, again, that's the randomizer doing the, doing the uh, the due diligence here. Dane, take us what you want. What are you looking for here for running backs in round three?
3: Okay. Well, we're the Chargers. We've got our, our quarterback in place. So the priority is to help the quarterback. Um, we need to make some upgrades on the offensive line. But I think a sneaky need here is we need to address running back depth. Uh, we need to help out our quarterback with a more balanced run attack. You look at our new offensive coordinator Joe Lombardi. Uh, you know he's really going to emphasize the passing game. That's where his strengths are. Uh, you look back at his time in Detroit. Uh, I think they finished 32nd in the league in rushing. So uh, we need to give our offensive coordinator a little bit of help too um sorry joe i should have asked you to leave the room for this uh, this talk um, so our running back uh, group's a little a little crowded with uh eckler and justin jackson and joshua kelly but i'm gonna leave it wide open here uh find me a running back at round three that you think we can add to that group who's going to help us achieve better balance and uh as a
1: whole better offense so I will play the role of the scouts here. And really, I think when you're looking at round three and talking about the running back position, there's two ways to look at this. Either you're going to get a guy that we value extremely highly that we felt would have been a first round pick, second round kind of talent that falls to us. All right. But seems unlikely that, you know, the guys that would fit that label of Travis Etienne's the Najee Harris's, the Javante Williams, that they're going to fall that far. Or, you're talking about a player that just blows us away, and he is by far the best player available at the position when we are on the clock. And one guy that I feel like could fit the bill for us is a potential three down player, and that's Kenny Gainwell from Memphis, one of the more under discussed players in this class. You know, did opted out this past year. He's 5'11, 195, is, is very green to the running back position. All right. He was a high school quarterback who came in and just as a red shirt freshman last year in 2019, led that team in rushing ahead of a senior in Patrick Jones. Uh, I think when you look at, Gainwell, he's got the ability to fit in any scheme, any kind of run game. He can also impact not just as a runner, but as a passer. He caught a bunch of passes last year for the Memphis Tigers, and he caught not just screen game, but they used him down the field. They flexed him out. They did all kinds of things. For them. All the things that you would say we can do with Austin Eckler – Eckler's getting a little bit up there. He was battling injuries last year. He's got an opt-out after this year from a contract standpoint. So uh, I kind of look at Gainwell as the ability to come in. And even if it's not year one, maybe he's a kind of a a part-time player with the guys that we've got in that committee right now. But by year two, he is our every down bell cow back. Uh, I'm going to look at Kenny Gainwell as a guy that we could potentially value uh, in round three as a long-term starter for us.
2: Listen, I love Gainwell. I don't know if I want another 190 pound satellite back. I know I was with the Saints last year, but I've caught up. I watched a lot of our tape from this past season. We had the most negative runs in the NFL last year, guys. Third and short, we were 26th. We need a between the tackles bell cow that can we, you know, obviously lean on in short yardage, early down situations, run to win in the fourth quarter when we need them to. I'm looking for a little bit more size here, Fran. I don't think Javante Williams is going to be there. Nope. Maybe a Khalil Herbert, maybe a Trey Sermon. Somebody pushing maybe 210 pounds, maybe even 220, which there aren't many in this class. But I just need more of a chain mover. I need more of that kind of wear you down type. And then we can work in Eckler and Josh Jackson and Josh Kelly uh, on third down and the perimeter stuff. So I like Gainwell, but I don't know if I want more of a complementative skill uh, set. Remember, some of our best ball, we had Alvin Kamara and we had Mark Ingram. I love that thunder and lightning. Find me some thunder
3: to go with Austin Eckler's lightning. Hmm. Okay. Interesting. And I don't know if, is there a, a true bell cow back in the third that we feel great about? I mean, it, uh, you know, it's, I, I gain. Well, I think that makes sense in the third, but what are, what are other options in the third round?
1: Yeah. I mean, I feel like, I do like, uh, the one name Ben brought up in terms of Trey sermon. I feel like he would compliment the guys that we have in the room right now. Uh, he's a guy that, you know, late in the season showed that he can kind of tote the rock and be that guy in specific games. Uh, if we're looking for a between the tackles runner, I, I think that value fits for uh, for us right now.
3: Okay. Um,
1: well, you know, I'll tell you what.
3: Let's let's just go. Let's go with the better player. Um, you know, let's not. We're not—we're not, not going to get too hung up on the this the you know filling out the running back room to make sure we you know everything's complement. It's just—it's just go with the better player, and you know we're going to get our best athletes on the field. Uh, by the you know your description of Gainwell, it sounds like we could line him up in the slot if we want to, uh, and just get creative with how we how we you know put him on the field at the same time with Eckler or on the same time with uh, one of these other running backs. So I think that versatility it might be what pushes him over the top here uh, with how we can implement him in this offense.
1: All right, so we're gonna go Gainwell uh, to the Chargers. Let's go. Hey
3: Telesco, when it's third and one, I'll be giving
2: you
1: the look up in the boots. All right, buddy. (laughs) All
3: right, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just just signed an extension. I'm good. Don't worry.
1: Ben now's got to wear the GM hat as he's going to now uh, take on the role of Scott Fitterer, uh, the new general manager for the Carolina Panthers, uh, who are picking in round two, looking for a new middle linebacker. So, uh, Mr. Fitterer, the general manager, Ben, uh, take us through what are you looking for here uh, for the Carolina Panthers. Well, Carolina
2: Panthers here in year two under Matt Rule. Round two, middle linebacker. This one's easy, folks. Find me another Luke Keekly, this time in the second round, though, if those those (laughs) exist. We need someone to pair with Shaq Thompson, who we gave that extension to. I want him to be more of a true run-and-chase player a blitzer, give him less kind of mental management. I think he's going to be a a better, more productive player. Whitehead didn't work out as that veteran stopgap too many rookies in the front seven last year. So we moved uh, obviously Thompson to that Mike position, playing behind two rookie defensive tackles and Derek Brown and Bravian Roy. He had gross Matos off the edge. Jeremy chin was a nice box player. These guys did not know what they were looking at. Tons of misdirection, tons of eye violations I need a three-down player, obviously, at linebacker, but we want instincts. We want a smart player, FBI, quarterback of the defense, someone that knows how to get other people lined up. Too many mental lapses last year, too many busts, too many eye violations. Find me some instincts. Find me some
1: FBI. All right, well, Dane is playing the role of the scout, so Dane, uh, take us through it.
3: Well, I think we're looking here second round, right? Is that, that's what yep. we want. Um, I think uh, Jamin Davis out of Kentucky is a name that we need to talk about. Um, we talk about a guy that uh, can control the defense. He can do that. He he played the Mike position, only a one-year starter, but I tell you, he had a heck of a year. Over 100 tackles uh, in just 10 games. Uh, he had three interceptions. He could draw his zone instincts are outstanding. Um, you know, he's a guy that he trusts what he sees and responds quickly to play development. So I think there's a lot that we could do with the Jamin Davis, um, as a guy that can come in and, you know, I, I, I've him to Zach Cunningham. He's that type of player who, uh, is just going to be a solid mic for us. And, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's a rangy player.
1: He's got GPS for the football. We could definitely use that. So uh, me as the coaches, I look at Jamin Davis and I wonder, is he the kind of, uh, you know, the the kind of instinctive player that's able to key and diagnose fast enough for what we're looking for, uh, Ben? I'm not sure that he showed that. And uh, to be honest, when I'm looking at this group, the guys that we would typically value, uh, you know, early day two and round two, you know, whether it's Chaz Surratt, whether it's Zayvon Collins, all, all these guys, I'm wondering, are, do they check that box for us in terms of being, yeah, they're the the captain of the defense. They can get everybody lined up. They're going to key and diagnose everything. Obviously, none of these guys are going to step in and be Luke keekley but you know, do, do they present that skill set? The only guy up at the top that I feel really confident in his ability to kind of read things and uh, you know being more proactive than reactive is Nick Bolton. But I think that is that too much of a pipe dream, uh, Dane, to expect him to be there for when we're picking early round two? And that's why I did not
3: say Nick Bolton Uh, really is because I I just don't know that he's going to be there for us. Uh, And, you know, Nick Bolton seems like he's going to go somewhere top 35 picks uh, and we're picking just outside of that. So uh, if Nick Bolton is there, um, I think he makes a ton of sense. Now I don't know that he gives you, uh, the same type of three down versatility that I think uh, Jamin Davis gives us. I think he's a little more three down versatile. But if the number one priority here is the ability to read and diagnose and, you know, just that that play speed to attack downhill, then Nick Bolton's certainly our guy. So he he would definitely fit the bill if if he lasts to a second
1: round. So does now, make-
2: instincts and in FBI really quick, Fran, are super important to me. We got hundred tackles a season out of Clay Johnston down at Baylor as my middle linebacker. We don't need this most explosive player. We need a smart, instinctive player. Yeah. So Nick Bolton, Jemine Davis, I'm going to throw Chaz Surratt kind of into the mix here. I got a couple uh notes from buddies. I think he's one of the m- smartest players uh in this defensive class. So just want to know, Intelligence wise, getting lined up wise, where do you differentiate these three?
1: Yeah, I think that to me, when I watch them, I think that Bolton checks that box more than Surratt does, more than Jamie Davis does. That's just the way that I see it, uh, you know, watching them off film. And I guess really this comes down to this is why the positional value is so interesting, guys. You know, all the linebackers, me as the coaching staff that I bring to you and say, yeah, these are the tough, instinctive guys. They're all the ones that you say, oh, we can get that guy in, you know, late day three. You guys all like the height, weight, speed guys, and they're the ones that are going early. And I think that's why we see so many linebackers go, you know, you know, day three of the draft. Micah Kaiser gets drafted uh, in the sixth round out of Virginia and ends up being a multi-year starter for the LA Rams. And I, I that's kind of, I think, where, uh, you know, that that line in the sand that teams have to decide where they're gonna fall.
3: Yeah, that makes sense. Because yeah, Nick Bolton uh, and every, talking to coaches there at the school, they they rave about his character. So it's not just the intelligence on the field, but off the field. Um, and obviously, we know how much of an impact, uh, you know, Luke keekley made off the field uh, in terms of preparation and what to look for and helping the young guys. Nick Bolton, I think, can give us a little bit of that as well.
1: We OK with trading up for him?
2: Hey, I think sure. as long as it's in maybe the the 10-pick range, if we got to go get him, if he's sitting there in early day two, we might be that one to go up to 33 and go get that guy. But I'm going to go with Nick Bolton. I like his experience in the SEC a little bit more than Jamin Davis, even Chaz Surratt coming over from that offensive side. Still, you know, a little bit raw with some instinctual stuff. But Nick Bolton, I think, is... You know, the type of player we want in the middle, the obviously instincts, the playmaking ability, a guy that I don't think has to come off the field, which uh, really excites me.
1: I like it. So uh, let's go to our third one here. And I will be playing the role of Brad Holmes, the new general manager for the Detroit Lions. And it is round two, once again, Looking at slot receiver, and I'm just going to kind of lay out what I'm thinking here, guys, because uh, pretty much our entire wide receiver room are free agents. We did not franchise tag uh, Kenny Galladay. We got a bunch of guys leaving this room. And so uh, the, and the vets that we do have coming back, they're either new or they're outside. They're, uh, they're young guys. So uh, this has got to be someone that is probably ready to play. We w- we don't want a project. We want someone who's ready to step in uh, and be a contributor year one. Um, and look, I worked with Les Snead out in the, with the Rams for 17 years, from 03 to 2020. And we believed in, with the Rams in picking players that we are in lockstep with our coaches. So this is a player that has got to fit our identity as an offense. I look at our head coach, Dan Campbell. I look at our offensive coordinator, Anthony Lynn. I look at our assistant head coach, Deuce Staley. All three guys, not just played in the league, but they were tough physical players. Coach Campbell talked about it at his press conference. Uh, This is a guy that we we want toughness. We want guys that are going to bite kneecaps off, gentlemen. So give us a tough guy who's ready to play right away. And guess what? The other thing we learned with the Rams, if a guy doesn't test well, that didn't necessarily scare us. We, we, we picked some good players uh, that maybe fell a little bit later in drafts uh, you know, because they didn't test well. That won't scare me. So if a guy doesn't, you know, doesn't necessarily light up the track during his pro day, that won't scare me from taking him here in round two. Well, I think there should be a lot
2: of players available early round two here, and we should have our pick of the litter out of a several of these slot receivers uh, pending who falls out of the late round one. But Rondell Moore, Elijah Moore, Amonra St. Brown, Kadarius Toney, There's no way all these guys are going in the top 35. Someone's going to be sitting there for us. And I think any of these guys would be a great implementation into our offense uh, based on kind of what we want out of that slot position, out of the toughness, out of just the quick, easy offense for Jared Goff, and maybe somebody that's an extension of the run game. We were 25th last year and drop passes. We're going to need a quarterback's best friend and move the chain. So these four right here, I think check a lot of those boxes, for easy offense to get that ball out of golf's
3: hands. Uh, the the name that immediately popped to mind uh, for, for us coaches was Amari Rodgers. Uh, yeah. When you talk about toughness at the position, this guy, uh, I mean, he eats kneecaps for breakfast. There, there's no question about it. And so that's, that's the type of guy we want, a guy that plays with a rumble pack on uh, when you watch him on film. Uh, but let me throw out another name out there, uh, Rashad Bateman. Uh, you know, we talk about slot receivers. Well, Rashad Bateman, you know, the tape I saw, he lined up in the slot. Uh, he looked like he lined up everywhere on that uh, in that offense. And so uh, we want a guy that's going to contribute early. Uh, I think Rashad Bateman is one of the more pro ready uh, wide receivers in this class, uh, a guy that can move the chains
1: for us. So I think he needs to be in the conversation as well. So the really the, the names that stand out to me in terms of what I'm kind of thinking of. Number one would be Amari Rodgers. That was a name that uh that first kind of came to mind. I feel like he fits that toughness profile that we're looking for. But Oman Ross St. Brown also catches my eye in terms of the, you know what we're looking for, the toughness factor. Uh I know we've seen him blocking DBs and you know, d- steering them off the off the screen, uh, you know, at the point of attack. So, yeah. You know, Guys, d- debate these two players for me in terms of skill set and how we feel uh, they could fit into our new offense. Again, with uh, with Anthony Lynn, with Deuce Staley, with Dan Campbell, uh, how do we feel that these two guys kind of uh, coexist together? What, what do you think here? Uh, ben, I'll come to you first. Compare Amon Ross St. Brown with Amari Rodgers.
2: Well, I think St. Brown has a little bit more uh, positional versatility, more versatility in his alignments and probably ability. I think he could win at all three levels and uh, is probably a a more dynamic athlete uh, at 6'1", 195. But you're not getting as true of a slot receiver as uh, Amari Rogers was. Obviously, great hands, good yards after catch. He's a tough player in the run game. I don't think he's ever lined up outside the numbers out there. He's not really a vertical threat, much more of a segmented skill set. But if that's what we want, if this is the type of offense we're going to be now, RPO base, get the ball out, yards after catch, let the receivers do the dirty work. He's essentially a running back playing in the slot. And we've seen what guys you know can do, whether it's Randall Cobb or more recently Debo Samuel, what he can do for the offense right in that second round range, both those players. So uh, Amari Rodgers. I think in the second round is a little bit rich, considering those other slot receivers on my board still. But I think that's right in the ballpark and kind of what we're looking for.
3: How about that? Yeah, and with, with, with Amari, I mean, we we know he's the the son of a coach, which obviously us coaches love. Uh, but you know, the, the the toughness question or the the toughness aspect is really what kind of sets him apart. And even with uh, a Monroe Saint Brown, who's also a very tough receiver. Um, you know, he's a guy that uh, is, you know, kind of like what Ben was saying, not going to give you as much downfield, uh, but he can catch it and go. He can create after the catch. I think it gives us maybe a little, you know, more opportunities there when you talk about screens and sweeps and things like that. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, to me, it depends on what we want to go. Do we want a guy that can win vertically, uh, or at least challenge vertically, or do we want the more, uh, polished underneath threat? Um, if we want the underneath threat, Amari Rogers, we want more of a three level guy. Then I think, uh, St. Brown's the way to go. Who'd we take in the
1: first round? Uh, we went, we went, we went defense in round one. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> um, so the way I'm looking at this and Dane, I think you did a, a great job right at the end there. of kind of, put, you know, kind of painting that picture in a vacuum. I want the guy that's going to be the, that's going to bring a little bit more juice to the offense and give me that vertical element. So I'm on Ross St. Brown, I think kind of checks that. However, with the quarterback that we have with Jared Goff. He's not, he has not been a downfield thrower over the last two years, really, since that injury. It's been everything's been dink and dunk and dink and dunk. So maybe Amari Rodgers is more what we want. That being said, I'm not all that married. I'm not married to Jared Goff right now. I'm going with Amon Ross Saint Brown. He's going to be the pick. It was a roller coaster, uh, but we got there eventually. Uh, good discussions there, guys. There was a that was a that was a fun one. But uh, Ben, throw me on. It's like I said. Maybe we should start. Uh, you know, doing a full mock draft leading up to each of these picks, so we can, so we know who's on the board and who's. You need the board. to
2: know the landscape of where we're picking at Fran. <laughs> all right, I'm missing information.
1: Well, guys, this was uh, this was fun as always. Let's uh, you know let's dive into another team. We've talked about three different teams here. Let's dive in now into the intentions of the New England Patriots and what they could do here when it comes to draft weekend. Uh, let's go now with the blueprint.
2: All thirty-two teams are always under construction. How are they being built? Let's check out the blueprint.
1: All right, well, excited to welcome in Phil Perry to talk about uh, this New England Patriots team. And Phil, let's let's jump right in, man. I want to talk uh, about some of the trends that we've seen from Bill Belichick and this Patriots team. Look, the front office personnel, they've come and, go, uh, come and gone over the years. Uh, Nick Casario, obviously the latest one heading down to the Houston Texans. But over the course of Belichick's tenure, are there three trends that you can kind of point to and say, you know, kind of help people out when they're putting together their mock draft and the Patriots are on the clock with 15?
0: Yeah, I would say number one, when you're talking about Bill Belichick in the first round, you got to start on defense. Mm. And I know they have umpteen needs offensively that we could turn to in the first round for the 2020 mocks, if you're putting them together, but there was a stretch before the 2018 draft where Bill Belichick had 14 first round picks, 10 of them were on the defensive side. Mm. He is a defensive guy through and through. He was obviously defensive coordinator for many years. Now he's the essentially defensive coordinator here in new England as the head coach, he's getting some help there, but he is still a defensive coach. That is still his bread and butter. He loves going to that side of the football lately. He's gone offense Fran, but it's been 2018 Sony, Michelle and Isaiah Wynn. Those were really not stopgap picks because you're always thinking ahead. You're thinking for the future, especially in the first round, but that was the end of Tom Brady's window. That's how they were yep. looking at that span of time. They needed an offensive lineman. They needed a running back, as weird as that is to say. We kind of hammered that pick at the time, and it turns out that that was not a very good pick on their part. The Nikhil Harry pick was another where they just needed a receiver. They were trying to squeeze every last ounce of juice out of that last Tom Brady year, which I think a lot of us thought it would be, especially by about midseason that season. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I look at those three picks, those offensive picks, as drafting for need and, and drafting for a team that they still wanted to try to compete to win a Super Bowl. Now that they're past that, I think they're going to get back to what they do, which is drafting defensive guys early.
1: Interesting. That'll certainly, uh, and they're right, right in the meat of the first round. And there's going to be plenty of defensive players, basically their pick uh, of defensive players, because obviously there will be some blue chips guys off the board. But it's going to be heavy offense early in this draft. So I'll be very interested to see what they end up with.
0: All those quarterbacks, uh, you know, maybe three receivers yep. going in the top, you know, ten to twelve picks. Like I think they're going to have maybe their choice of their favorite edge defender. I I mocked Quiddy Pay to them the other day. I I think he's going to have a lot of things that they like um, in terms of athleticism, in terms of the off the field stuff, Mm -hmm. the track record. They're going to know a lot about him in a year where information on these prospects we know is going to be limited. Um, Maybe a corner, maybe one of his top two corners slides to them. I could see them going that route as well. Uh, But my second, my second theme here will maybe help us kind of fine tune what we should be looking for at 15 there.
1: All right. What do you got for number
0: two? Well, so number two is that yes, they like defense and more specifically, they like big bodies on defense Mm. because when you look at their draft history, again, you know, of those 14 picks leading up to 2018, you had Malcolm Brown in the first round in 2015. You had Dominique Easley. These both defensive tackles first round in 2014 Chandler Jones defensive end in 2012 Dante Hightower and Gerard Mayo front seven guys. Um, you had a couple safeties mixed in with Devin McCourty and Brandon Merriweather, but you know, early, early in Belichick's tenure, Vince Wilfork, Ty Warren, Richard Seymour, those guys were all th- first round picks and they drafted all three of those in four years. So if we're looking at trends, they want to go big and yes, they want to go defense, but they want to go big. So whether it's Quiddy pay Christian Barmore, I think is a guy we should be paying attention to, especially in that number 15 overall range, especially considering some of the connections there at Alabama. That's another trend that I would be looking at if I'm trying to fill out a mock for the Patriots.
1: I mean, all you have to do is just look at his tree. I mean, Bill Barcells was a height, weight, speed guy. He believed in traits. Obviously, Nick Saban uh, the same way. Uh, you know, size matters uh, certainly to him. Let's go to your third one. The third one for me is
0: not as applicable, maybe for a first round specifically, but this has definitely been a trend for years now, and especially lately, the Patriots love the Senior Bowl. And I know every team, you know, likes the senior bowl to a certain extent, gives you an opportunity to see guys play against good competition. But the Patriots really, really value that. And they value it, especially with some of these smaller school guys who they finally get to see. And if you perform well, like Kyle Duggar did last year, then maybe you have a chance to get drafted pretty early by the Patriots. So you just look at their their um, draft choices in the last couple of years here whether it's Kyle Duggar in the second Jamie Collins years ago in the second round, Derek Rivers, smaller school guy, yeah. Antonio Garcia, smaller school guy, all these guys went to the senior bowl played well, you know, they still will, will draft larger program players from the senior bowl as well. But even just like the bulk friend of um, names that we could look to chase Winovich was originally supposed to be a senior bowl guy. Didn't end up yeah. going, but you know, Jared Stidham is a senior bowl guy. Jake Bailey, the punter is a senior bowl guy. Like, the list is incredibly long in terms of those senior bowl players. They really like those guys.
1: I love that. That's a, that's a great nugget. Uh, And this is this next one is a uh, a kind of low hanging fruit for a couple of these, but uh, I love asking what are some schools that uh, we feel that this team has a special connection to? Uh, I think everybody knows that Nick Saban, Bill Belichick connected at the hip a little bit uh, outside of Alabama. (laughs) Are there any other schools that you feel uh, definitely should be on the radar?
0: There are, I mean, you know, Kirby smart is a guy he's been close with as well. So Georgia, you know, I mentioned that 2018 draft class, both those guys from Georgia um, that's a program, you know, really all of the, the sec schools are going to be where they're looking just like a lot of teams, but Georgia, Alabama, put them at the top of the list. Greg Shiano is another name that we should be keeping in mind that run of Rutgers players that they had years ago, Fran, when it was really the height of uh, for the Patriots there, there are, I would say 75% of their defensive back room at one point was made up of, of right. Scarlet Knights. So um, maybe they start going back to that pool because they haven't been in Rutgers in on Rutgers guys for years now. Um, but Shiano's nobody back. has, nobody has, nobody has, <laughs> nobody has. That's a good point. But maybe now that Shiano's back, they, yes. they they grab a couple guys there. I don't even know who that would be. Honestly, All I don't right. think I've watched a single Rutgers player this year. Not this year. Yeah. Um, uh, how about Arizona, too, though? Arizona is an interesting one now because the quarterback's coach for the Patriots last year was Jed Fish. Jed Fish is now the head coach at Arizona. Don Brown, who was defensive coordinator at Michigan. The Patriots have taken all kinds of Michigan players last couple of years. Josh Juche, Chase Winovich in recent years. Um, Don Brown is now the defensive coordinator at Arizona. So they haven't really gotten their hands on these guys yet, Fish no. or Brown. But if there's anybody that, you know, in the future that we should be looking at, it should be Arizona. I would say Michigan guys still are guys that we should be looking at. It's again, why would mock Quiddy Pay to the Patriots if he's there at 15? Um, Because not only is it Don Brown, Jed Fish was there at Michigan for a bit. Josh McDaniel's brother, Ben McDaniels, was at Michigan for a while. He's now with the Texans as an assistant there. But they've got all sorts of connections with programs around the country. But those are some of the big ones.
1: All right, let's get into some needs here for this football team. What, what are, do you feel are the three biggest needs uh, for this Patriots team as they enter the off season?
0: Number one's obvious to me. They just re-signed Cam Newton. Quarterback is still at the top of the list though. Yeah. I just don't know if you're going to be able to get a guy, you know, even if you want to trade up, how many teams are ahead of the Patriots at 15 overall that want quarterbacks? I mean, you're looking at that list and it's, you'd be talking about eight or nine teams that are in the quarterback conversation at that part of the draft. So Uh, quarterbacks, number one for me, receiver would be number two. Uh, you know, I don't know if they're going to be drafting a receiver high again, uh, with Nikhil Harry, that not working out at all, um, from a couple of years ago. And this feels like another deep receiver class. So they might feel like they can wait to the second or third round and get somebody that can play for them, but that's a huge need and tight end is the other. So that's three offensive. I just told you they like going defense early but their needs are are really on the offensive side of the ball. They need to totally reshape their receiver and tight end rooms. Fran, those have been a disaster the last couple of years.
1: I mean, everyone talks about you know need versus best player available. You talked about it a little bit with this team on the back end of Tom Brady's tenure there. How do you think that they approach it here going into this offseason? Do you think that they're going to try and stick closer to the board or do you think they'll try and address needs? I
0: think they're going to try to address their needs in free agency. And so they may look at it and say, well, check one off the board. We just re-signed Cam. You know, I think that probably that makes them feel like they have a little bit more flexibility. They don't have to force it at the draft at quarterback. Uh, But I think you're going to see them being on receivers in free agency. I think you're going to see them being on tight ends in free agency so that when they do get to the draft, they can really look ahead and project out and not be concerned with, oh, is this guy going to be able to fill a starting role for us right away? Like I could see this playing out. I talked about this a little bit earlier on radio here in Boston. It would not surprise me if at 15 overall, say Quiddy pays off the board, they don't love Greg Rousseau and they like J.C. Horn, but they don't like him enough to take him at 15. It would not shock me if they went and they got who they consider to be maybe the second or third best offensive tackle in the draft because they they know he's going to be a player. They know he's going to be a difference maker moving forward. Years ago in 2011, they drafted Nate Solder in the first round. They already had Matt Light starting there at left tackle. They had Sebastian Vollmer starting there at right tackle. He was a developmental kind of player. And ended up working out for them, played a long time and played pretty well for them here. But I could see this draft working like that one where they say, even if the guy doesn't play all that much his rookie year, we just want to make sure we get a good player.
1: Is there, you've already mentioned a couple of names here, Pay. you mentioned Christian Barmore. Uh, are there players that are being mocked to the Patriots that you just think with everything you've kind of laid out, make a lot of sense for this team at this point?
0: Yeah, I would look at those two. I would look at Mac Jones, too. And honestly, he checks every box for them in terms of what they want at quarterback, which sounds a little weird given that they are now re-upping with Cam Newton. Yeah, you maybe couldn't find two different quarterbacks on the spectrum there in terms of mobility and athleticism. But Bill Belichick has always told us when he's talking about traits that make a good quarterback, he started with accuracy. Now, it changed a little bit last year when I asked him about this. Maybe it was because Cam Newton was on the team and he wasn't all that accurate. But it changed from accuracy and decision-making, which should have been his answer for about a decade in terms of what makes a good quarterback, to anticipation and decision-making. When it comes to anticipation and decision-making and accuracy, I mean, Mac Jones, I think, has to be maybe not at the top of the list, but near the top of the list. You know, it's not arm strength. It's not athleticism. That's not what Bill Belichick's talking about. It's about, do you understand what you're looking at? Can you put a ball on a dime? You know, if it's not 40 yards away, Mac Jones in New England, can you do it from 15 yards away in the conditions? I don't know if he can do all that. And they may have concerns about that. But the program connection, the traits that Mac Jones brings to the table, the fact that he was behind the two guys that he was at Alabama and had to kind of work his way into that starting spot, I think tells you a lot about how he would handle adversity, um, which is big for the Patriots. They're always trying to dig into who these guys are as people. So that's another one that I see mocked a lot and I could totally envision.
1: Senior bowl uh, as well. Uh, Senior ball guy, guy too, earlier. right? Yep, no question. Uh, now, on the other side of the coin, are there guys that just don't make sense uh, that are being mocked to them?
0: The one that I that I see sometimes get to 15, and I'm not sure because he's such a rare athlete that he will get this far, but I have seen it as Micah Parsons. Yeah. I get it on the field, Fran. He is versatile, can play inside, can play outside. He can do just about anything you want a linebacker to do. Uh, But what I understand about Micah Parsons is number one, he might not be your quarterback of the defense type of linebacker. He might not be that Mike who's calling out the plays and running things for you and directing traffic. And number two, there are some off the field things I've talked to plenty of people about it. And some people say, well, it's just a little bit of immaturity. It's he's not a bad person. It's not something to get totally worked up about, but they are what they are. They are there. They are, they do exist those concerns. And for me, If you're the Patriots and you want to draft an off-the-ball linebacker in the first round, you want him to be Dante Hightower or Gerard Mayo. You want him to be the brains of your defense. You want him to be a leader of your program. You want him to be a captain early in his career. I'm not sure that Micah Parsons is all those things. So it would be surprising to me. Even if he fell to 15, it might be a good value. It would be a little bit surprising to me if they invested in him in the top half of the first round.
1: Yeah, I think that that one is certainly one that would uh, surprise me as well. I think you look at some of these other backers, I think they kind of fit more uh, of what Bill Belichick is looking for off the field. Um, Parsons, I think, is an interesting one. Uh, Just final advice, parting words here for anyone mocking for the Patriots, any, uh, you know, just lasting impression? Yeah, my final advice
0: would be don't try too hard. Because we all because we all do, and we we're, we're all trying to peg it, and nobody here ever gets it right. So you know, as as easy as it may seem, when the board comes up a certain way, inevitably, here's my advice, Fran:
1: mock a trade down. There you that, go. that I think would like, be my advice. <laughs> Trade down the second round,
0: add a couple picks, build your depth. That that's the Patriot way, so to speak.
1: There you go. Trade down, take Mac Jones at the, t- at the bottom of round one, top of exactly. round two and call it a day. Well, uh, Phil, this has been awesome. Thanks so much for joining us here on the Journey to the Draft podcast. Stay safe, stay healthy, and we'll uh, talk to you soon, man. Thanks a lot, Free. Appreciate you having me.
2: Now it's time to hear from you, the fans, in the draft mailbag.
1: Well, great stuff there from Phil Perry. Hope you guys uh, learned a lot over the last three segments. We're now we're going to get to one final question in our draft mailbag. And again, the best way to get your question read is to go into Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating, leave us a comment. And that's exactly what Syracuse Browns fan did, who left a five-star review saying it was really good to hear Brent Sableski's take on the Browns' draft strategies. I've been disappointed that the Browns have not come up on your randomizer yet for the team's draft analysis. And let me real quickly, I'm going to cut into the middle of this question. Literally, the way that I have this, there's a website that's like. Uh, Uh, random picker, and I've got every single team loaded into one tab, every position loaded into a different tab, and then every part of the draft loaded into another. And just so we cover different teams, we're not hitting the same teams multiple times. As we pick a team, I remove them from the randomizer. So uh, as we get closer and closer, we will be making sure to hit uh, on your favorite teams. Who who knows? Maybe the Browns uh, will be next week uh, here on the show. But uh, here is Syracuse Browns fan question. Would like to hear some possible day three wide receiver prospects for the Browns. I've been focused on Josh Palmer from Tennessee, Josh Bebe uh, from Illinois. Also, I wasn't sure that the two picks suggested by Brent fit Joe Wood's defensive scheme. Joe has suggested they want to play more dime and quarter defense. I would think that the Browns would be more focused on a five technique at defensive end. I don't think there's a young plug-and-play candidate in this draft. Thus, I can see why this position appears to be a focus by the Browns in free agency. Would Peyton Turner be a good long-term prospect for cornerback? I wonder if tall and fast corners fit this, better, fit this Scheme a little bit better. Uh, Trill Williams and uh, Obi Malafonwu, or I should say Ifatu Malafonwu from Syracuse, our smaller corners just not have held up for a full season. So uh, layered question there, and let's now get into uh, the, the wide receiver position because uh, as you mentioned, there are a couple players there with Josh Palmer with uh, with Immortor Bebe from from Illinois. Uh, that name is a is a mouthful, but I think I've mastered it at this point. I think when you look at the Browns, you know what were some of the things we talked about. Last week with Brent, you know this is not a this is an analytically forward uh, organization. So you're not going to get your tip. You're probably not going to get bad athletes. You're probably not going to get guys that uh, were not super productive. It seems like their you know age really matters to them. Guys that come from Power Five programs that seems to be uh, you know seems to be uh you know, something that matters to them. I think when you look at the wide receiver position, uh you know Josh Palmer being a fourth year senior, I mean he came from a big school for sure, um but I, he's a little bit on the older side. I think that would be one uh you know I don't know if that's a guy that would necessarily fit. Immature baby I think is interesting. Certainly a small sample size at the college level. He started at USC, then transferred to Illinois after not really uh, not really. You Having the career that he was hoping for with the Trojans. But I think when you look at all right, who are some day three guys at wide receiver, that kind of makes sense. Uh, you know, certainly. Uh, you know, I think you look at an Elijah Moore. Is he a guy that could last a day three? Some people feel like he could be a day one pick. I think you look at maybe like an Anthony Schwartz. I mean, the guy's going to be a 20-year-old rookie. Can give them an influx of speed for sure at the position. He's going to. He certainly has to get better in some in some certain areas. Terrace Marshall, I think, is an interesting one from LSU. Uh, certainly, that would be a name that I would keep an eye on. Remember, they had two picks out of LSU a year ago, so uh, certainly they've got some relationships uh, with that program. I think with receiver. It's always tough because number one there are so many names number one right and there's always guys that fall a little bit further than you would expect because of the depth at the position. So you might say oh there's there's no way Elijah Moore is going to be there. There's no way uh you know Terrace Marshall is going to be there. But then it's day it's the round 4 of the draft and guess what? That's exactly what happened. And I think look when you look at the way Cleveland uh, approached the draft last year, a lot of those picks where guys, oh man, like I can't believe this guy was still there. I can't believe Jedrick Wills was there with the 11th pick. I can't believe they got Grant Delpit where they did in round two. Uh, you know, you go down the list, a lot of the guys they picked, they just were the guys that fell to them. They went straight, best player available at a lot of different positions. And I think when you look at receiver, it's more likely than not that that's the way that it could go for them. I think when you look at defensive end in a corner, uh, yeah, I think that size certainly can play, you know, can certainly play a part there. I do think if you're going to go sub package defense, uh, you're going to want guys that can get after the quarterback. And so, uh, you know, I don't know if that's a just a pure 5-tech. I get what you're saying there with Peyton Turner, and I think he's got more juice than your typical 5-tech. I mean, he's got some position versatility, he's got some power to collapse the pocket. It's, it's really going to come down to what the coach is looking for, and, and without being in that building, it's tough to be able to say, oh yeah, you know, they would definitely prefer uh, a smaller guy who can you know turn the corner as opposed to uh, a big powerful player uh, that can push the pocket. If you're looking for a player that can do a little bit of both, you know, maybe you look at a camp sample, maybe you look at a William Bradley King, right? Some of these guys, uh, you know, that were down at the senior bowl and, and did some good things. Uh, you know, Joseph Osai from Texas, young player. Still relatively new to the position, right? Played off-ball linebacker in 2019, shifted over to defensive end uh, this past season. He would be a name to kind of keep an eye on. And then how about if you're going the opposite way? If you just want, you know, we want somebody light who can, you know, hey, it's it's third and long, let's put him out there. What about Chris Rump from Duke, who has been insanely productive, son of a coach, right? So, uh, you know, this guy, the body type's a little bit unique, but you know what can he do for us defensively? He can get after the quarterback from a variety of alignments and different sub-package looks. And I think that Rump uh, certainly checks that box, certainly in day three. So uh, we talked about a handful of names there. Hope you, uh, you got what you're looking for there, uh, Syracuse Brown fan. Thanks so much uh, for, the, for listening. Thanks for the support. Thanks for leaving that review. I uh, Hope you enjoyed uh, the answer uh, to that question for the Cleveland Browns. Uh, guys, thanks so much for joining us here on our 300th episode of the Journey to the Draft podcast. As always, we'll be back later this week. Greg Cosell. Ben Fennel, We're going to have Matt Bowen here uh, to talk some safeties. It's going to be a lot of fun uh, breaking down defensive backs later here this week right here on the show. Two-thirds of the NFL matchup show joining us here on the Journey to the Draft podcast. We'll be back later this week.
3: In just over three years, Eagles Autism Foundation has raised millions of dollars for autism research and care. But this is about so much more than just fundraising. This is about making a transformational difference in the lives of those affected by autism. This is about bringing our community together. With inclusive, sensory-friendly events and accessible resources, we meet families where they need us most and where we can serve them best. Together, we're united in our mission to improve the lives of the autism community and to turn awareness into action. It's
0: what we focus on. Every day in every way.